I remember a few years ago, me and my dad were playing in the winter and we had our hats on and it was freezing cold and there was a blizzard coming in and it was, I think it was about eight o'clock in the morning and the sun was just coming up over a crisp, icy fairway. And we were like, what are we doing? And I looked to my left and I could see a bird tapping for worms. And I went, that's why we're here, just to get out walking with my bag on my back. And I don't care if I don't even swing the, the club well, because I can't even hold it, it's that cold. But you're out just walking and if you pay attention to that that moment, then external influences like what is going on at home or what's going on on social media or what, what the wife's doing or the girlfriend or the partner or whatever it is, um, you're just in that element of just, it's like a bit of freedom yeah. and that tranquility. And to then work on people around the mental side of it and how you can tap into that emotional state, it's brilliant. Hi, this is John Taylor here from What's in the Bag, and you are listening to the Travelling Optimist podcast by Steve Audie. Hey, everybody. How's things with you? It's time for another podcast. I'm Steve Odie, so grab a drink of your choice, pull up a chair. It's great to have you join us. My guest today is John Taylor from What's in the Bag. John's journey starts as the kid who always wanted to be outside climbing trees to becoming a mindset coach and golfing Buddha for people all over the world. He was born into a military family. Uh, John also learned to adapt to change at an early age as his father was posted all around Europe. And leaving school, John joins the army too with distinguished tours in Afghanistan and Bosnia. He loves Eastern philosophy and conveys this thinking to his clients who benefit from JT's wise and beautiful teachings. If I was to summarise John, I would say that he brings a fresh perspective to life. His calmness and energy is nothing but remarkable, and I loved having a conversation about his life. He's one of the kindest and most compassionate people I've had the pleasure of meeting. So this is a conversation about life, mindfulness, and finding your Zen, baby. It's a real treat. So here we go. What's up, John? It's really good to see you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, been a long time coming. I think we connected last year, didn't we? And, and here we are. I know, absolutely. Well, to be fair, you are the person who got my podcast juices flowing, mate. So my guesting on your podcast last year was the catalyst for me. And it started what can only be described as a really beautiful journey for me. So, yeah, I just wanted to thank you for that. No problem. It's my pleasure. Um, <laughs> I think I was pushed by somebody else within the Four Business Network who really got me going with it as well. Oh, really? Oh, excellent. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's so cool. I mean, yeah, it's a it's a great thing. I just love it. What? Why did you start your podcast then? I feel as if I'm probably a little bit better at having conversations and talking to people than I am writing texts and, and communicating. Mm. And when... I was given a gentle nudge by somebody in the network who said, John, I think you should start a podcast. I was like, it's something that I hadn't really considered. I didn't have a clue what to do. Mm. I had no idea where you would start. And like anything, you just got to kick it off and, and action it in one, one sense or downloaded a platform. And then you think, well, what's it going to be called? And how can I really get a message across to people? And what would be the theory of the the outline of the podcast you know you've yeah. got the traveling one and so i decided to call it keep sharing and then the reason why i do that every time i work with my mentor um dr joe 
he always says at the end of every call that we have, keep sharing. And he means just keep sharing knowledge in abundance, keep connecting people, just just keep doing that. So it looks at people's success stories, pitfalls, and mm. who's inspired them along the way. Mm. Yeah, no, it's and a great I podcast. feel that every, everybody's got a journey. Mm. And if you listen deep enough, there's a story in there. And yeah. It's great. Yeah. To, um, yeah. Oh, I love it! So. I love it. No, it's 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 fantastic, and uh, your your uh, episodes are are really cool. So yeah, keep keep up the good work on that one. Thank so you. let's Come. let's let's rewind a bit, okay? Let's let's um let's find out a little bit more about John Taylor. Now, from your accent, obviously, I you're from the the, the northeast of of the UK. Is Newcastle or Sunderland or? We'll go for the first one. New. <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry i didn't mean to offend um so you're a geordie yes great stuff. born and bred excellent excellent so what was young you know little john taylor like as a, as a child oh uh, adventurous outdoorsy mm. always had a stick in my hand and thought it was like a gun climbing trees you know i was at the point where my mom would say it's dark now son come in as soon as it was light, I was out. I was never around much in the house. Yeah. My dad was in the forces, so I was born in Newcastle, but then moved all over the world with my father. So he, we were fortunate enough to live in places where you were secure, mm. so you could literally just run run right wherever you were. Mm. Not so much in Northern Ireland, because you were surrounded by a permanent fence in the housing mm. estate, mm. and used to hear helicopters going over a lot. But living in places like Cyprus and going to school at seven o'clock in the morning, finishing at midday, and having your swimming trunks underneath your school shorts, and we had a an Olympic sized swimming pool on the on the camp that we lived on, and I literally used to just walk out of school straight into the swimming pool, and my mum would finish work and come and get me from there and take me home for tea. And but we were surrounded by so many different kids as well, so it was a big community. Mm. But we all moved around together. But I went to probably about nine different schools. Um, and that was, in a way, quite challenging because we would probably move between term times. Some, you know, some of the occasions, and you would then have to wait two weeks to get your place. So my schooling and my upbringing and education was wasn't the best mm. from from a teacher's point of view. So I was probably more homeschooled then than I am than um, than, than most kids growing up. Mm. But the good thing about it is that I got to meet new people all the time. I am a social, interactive person. I I like being around folk, and I think because of that upbringing, I just it, it just it's just in me to to drum up a conversation, ask how people are and what they're up to, and find out about people's lives because I was constantly doing that throughout my whole existence. And yeah, so that was that was John growing up really until the age of thirteen, traveling, lived in Canterbury, Tidworth, Hampshire, Berwick, Cyprus, Germany twice. Island, um, so we never what, really stopped. What Every regiment was years. your dad in? He was in the Royal Regiment of Fusiliers, mm. which is then the regiment I joined at seventeen. So you so felt? We, did you feel like you 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 had that itch to scratch, and that the and that the military would would kind of satisfy that that itch, if you like, from the adventure or the activity, and and that you couldn't find in sort of civilian in in the normal work. Or yeah, I think. Um, when you look at your dad and he's, he becomes like a figure and what he's doing and then you're, you're surrounded by it, I suppose something happens. But we moved back to Newcastle when I was 13 and I ended up going to high school in the West End of Newcastle. And at the time, I had a little bit of a copy accent. You know, I was just like completely disjointed. I didn't have 
So I, I was quite bullied, I suppose, in terms of because I was an outsider and these people have all grew up together in the same area. Mm. And I struggled a little bit in, in them times at, mm. at school. So probably from the age of 13 to like 15. And then I went to join the army at 16 as soon as I could. And I, I thought I didn't want to grow up in that area. And when I was looking at the people that I was with, they had just literally grew up in that same place. They hadn't been anywhere. They hadn't done anything. And I'd, and I'd been all over by that stage, you know. I'd, yeah. I'd travelled yeah, all yeah. over Europe as well. Um, and then, yeah, so I was like, what else can I do? I'm not very well educated <laughs> at the time. Uh, so off I went and, and I joined up and went to join up first, then got knocked back because I was too skinny and needed to go and put a little bit more weight on. I wasn't robust enough, strong. <laughs> so I went and got a YTS job. Uh, working for twenty nine pound fifty a week as a mechanic, right? I ended up fitting tires, and then seventeen signed on the dotted line, and then off I went back down to Cambridge where I lived and grew up. So I used to go to the nursery, where in the same place where we would have lessons. So I was a tiny little kid in these Nissan huts, which was my nursery in the early eighties. Um, and then when I was seventeen years old, I'm now sitting in that same building. At seventeen year old getting getting lessons. Yeah, amazing. So it, yeah, it was meant to be, wasn't it? Really? Did you feel like you needed to follow in your dad's footsteps? Was that sort of? I, I would imagine there was no pressure in you doing that. But what was the the drive? I don't feel like I had to follow in his footsteps because he's got big feet and he and he made a bit more leaps than I did. He got to quite a high rank, you know, and he done reasonably well. I just wanted to go off and test myself, really. I just wanted to prove that I had it in me to to become something, you know. And the transition of going from a 17-year-old, like literally in school one week, and then a year later you're walking around Bosnia with a rifle, you think, oh, what happened there? Yeah. And you soon wake up and yeah. you're surrounded by good people doing doing a job. Um, and, I, and, you know, when you look back at it, I absolutely loved the learning style of it, the the continuity, the change, constantly mm. changing. Not one day was ever the same. What were the main takeaways from being in the military for you then? Resilience, robust development, learning, teaching. I learned to become a teacher Yeah. in the army as well. The highlight for me was working in Harrogate as a sergeant, teaching recruits to become, so taking 15 and 16-year-old group of people to become men and women. Yeah. And that, and that transition, I love transitional work. And that's, I suppose, really now the job that I'm doing. But yeah, yeah um, the takeaway from it is that you know, I learned a hell of a lot and I, and I got to travel. I learned how to ski and scuba dive and box and play football and play golf. And, and yeah, you did get sent to not nice places, but that, you know, everything balances itself out in the long run. Yeah. I think there's that kind of concept, this sort of viewpoint for people that really you're, it's 24 seven all action in the military, isn't there? But I would imagine that there's some times where there actually is downtime and that's when you start learning the, all those new skills and stuff. And that's quite an under underrated kind of element of being in the military, isn't it? It can be. And I think you're not aware of the skills that you learn as a person being in the military. So it's hard to convey them into how you can, cross them over into transferable skills when you leave yeah. because you've been doing something a certain way for a long period of time to take that methodology and and then transfer it into the workplace mm. it's quite a powerful thing to do and if you tap into that and i think it's only later on that you realize that you learned them skills that actually help you get through everyday life yeah and that's so like, that you yeah. can transfer them when you come out of the military yeah well one of the things is um i'm into mindfulness and meditation now and when you were in the military you used to be in a lot of woods sleeping outside under the stars the moonlight 
getting cold, wet, had to be quiet, couldn't speak, had to be stealth. So you were actually being, I was learning about mindfulness then, really. It's only when I reflect back that lying in the middle of a wood, yeah. looking out with nothing but just your thoughts and being aware, yeah. you are being mindful of that situation. Yeah. And now taking that element and tapping it into practicing it more and more now, you go, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I've been here before a little bit. <laughs> it was a lot calmer <laughs> than the world. Yeah. Because there's, there's a lot of chaos in the world at the moment when you were just sitting in the wood in the middle of, I don't know, out of a training area or Salisbury playing or somewhere like that, or you were out in Afghanistan and you were looking across the desert and it was just a blanket of stars around you yeah. and you were just by yourself. When did you go to Afghanistan? Uh, 2009. How was that? Testing. Mm. Unusual. But like a lot of the guys out there, you know, you miss home, you miss your loved ones, but you, you're all together in it. Mm. and you and you are there sometimes not wanting to be there but sometimes thinking that you're just there doing the job um it's 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 not a very nice place but the you're literally freezing cold in the desert at night you know and you just you've you've got you've got people around you and that, and that's the most important part of it all mm. i read that you 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 did reach a reasonable sort of level in terms of rank and, and stuff so what 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 level did you get up to before you before you left I got up to middle management sergeant level. Yeah. So what what does that entail, being a sergeant then, just as a I'm, – I'm curious. You're sort of like in the middle of the rank structure, so you deal with all the stuff that comes from the bottom, all of the complaints from the guys who aren't happy, and then you get absolutely hammered from the top as well to make <laughs> sure that they're okay. So you're like sandwiched. That's how I could put it. Um, and you've got a lot of responsibility, and, you, and, and you're doing what you're doing, you know. Yeah. And we, it's, a, it's a climb to get there. Yeah, but it sounds like it's very really rewarding, though, in terms of the camaraderie and, I guess, the the, the friends, that, the friendships that you, you make all throughout that sort of career. Have you sort of been in, stay in contact with the boys and girls from where you bring the... I think the what army? happens is you end up um, developing your own little tribe when you're together in the army. And then when you leave, that tribe becomes a little bit disseminated. But mm. everybody that I know from the military, I could pick up the phone today and have a chat with them and it would be just like, like we've just gone back in time. Yeah, yeah. But I only really keep regular contact with about three or four guys mm. now, you know, on a probably on a three, four times a week basis. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but all of the other people, we normally meet up at Christmas time, St. George's Day, Remembrance. Mm. And then you can imagine what that's like because you yeah. just haven't seen each other for a while. Yeah, and I think I think it's really healthy to do that as well. And one of the one of the things that I've done last year is I've reduced my time on social media because I don't want to be like looking at stuff all of the time. Some of it's really negative, and there's some really positive things on there. But when I see these people again, we'll have something to talk about. Mm. And I feel as if when you're on social media and, you, and you're seeing each other's lives. That when you see each other again, it's like, well, I already know what you've been up to. Yeah, yeah. Social media, I, you know, is is like Marmite for me. You know, I sometimes I love it. <laughs> sometimes I, I get really frustrated with it. I don't really know where I sit sit with it. You know, particularly things like Facebook and stuff. I, I'm I'm quite a private person. It sounds like it sounds like you are as well. And you, you know, um, but I find that things like LinkedIn is is very positive and um i like uh, i like that and i see i know that you're on linkedin quite a bit as well aren't you yeah there i, I only really i'm on two platforms now um instagram and linkedin mm. they're, the, they're the main effort but i was on a lot of them 
and my, and and I felt like I was just being spread. Yeah. And trying to make an impact on everyone, and it's time consuming. And being being on them a long period of time can actually cause a lot of damage to your own because you're sitting there, mm. you're scrolling. I think the average person now is scrolling on the phone 250 meters a day. That's crazy. In length. Yeah. But are they even looking? You don't read a book like that, do you? Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, no, like, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know how how people have enough kind of bandwidth to be able to cope with all of that. I really don't. I just. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just don't know how they do it or they cope, no. you know, particularly, you know, youngsters. So what acted as the catalyst then to leave the army for you? What was the, was there anything happened or was it just a natural kind of progression out and it just felt at the right time? Yeah. Just that really. It was, yeah. It felt like just a bit of a shift mm. at that, at that stage. Um, and then, yeah, just, then you're in this big world. And How did you adjust like, to coming back? Obviously, you had a, a fat. You, you were. Did you have family then when you left the army, or was that sort of afterwards? Well, my daughter's twenty-one, so she was already. Um, it was eleven years ago, so she was like twelve. Right. Okay. That's, that's, that's all I've got. Um, and then, yeah, I just come and I was based in Newcastle, so I literally just landed back in my home city again and didn't really know what to do with my life and just went through a few struggles. Mm. And then ended up working with a charity who sort of like helped me along the way. And that's where I got into the NLP world a little bit. And that's where the performance, mental health coaching sort of element of me sort of kicked in a little bit more. And then I ended up working for a charity called Veterans at Ease. Yeah. Who help veterans with PTSD, anxiety and depression and help them recover from mental health issues and get them on a straight and narrow. Yeah. And I'd been through something similar myself. And I thought, well, and the guy who set the charity up, offered me a position to train as a therapist and a, and a coach. And and I was doing events coordinator and many different hats, a social media guy, just to raise awareness about what we're doing. Mm. And that charity is doing really well now. They're, they're, um, they've got two or three shops um, around the country and they've helped, you know, a few hundred guys through their stuff already Yeah. In the, in the 10 years that they've been going. And Gareth, the CEO of the charity, we become quite close because he, he helped me. I then become his sort of like wingman and then um one day when, when i when i studied nlp i said to myself wow i wonder if this stuff works in golf and that was in 2010 because i had such a profound impact on me and it was around emotional development and you know your language and how you behave and things like that and then then i decided that well gareth said can you give me a few years to get us up and running and then you can go and do what you want and in 2015 without any plan without any structure in place it was just my purpose and off i went and i just decided to set up a company called your golf mind at the time and start working with professional amateur golfers to get help them become a little bit more mentally present on the golf course so they could perform to their best and increase before like confidence and i've never looked back six years down the line so that's where that's where it's led yeah literally working in mental health to working now in performance do you, do you ever think what would have happened if you hadn't have found that charity it would have took a lot longer to recover <laughs> from what I was going through. What were you? What, so, what were you going through? If you don't mind me I asking, I just had, a, yeah, I just, I just had a few um, underlying issues from memories that I, I'd seen from the military, so a bit of trauma mm. that wasn't wasn't nice. I, I just felt completely off scale. I was, I wasn't, I wasn't being myself in any way. I, I wasn't sleeping properly. I was having tremors and sweats and. Mm. I was alone. I was isolated. I didn't really want to reach out to anybody. I, 
close myself off. Mm. And if you heard from the very start there, I'm a bit of a social cat. So that was an unusual behavior for me to be to go on like. Yeah. And I knew then I was there was something wrong. So I seeked a little bit of help, went through the NHS, done a few programs that didn't really work and then found the charity and, and then that really triggered something in me to kick on. It's a so massive I think thing. yeah, the process it would have took longer. Yeah. Yeah. It's a massive thing, isn't it? Coming to the realization of th- things aren't going right and understanding that actually you, d- you need to take steps to try and correct it. Um and I can kind of see that happening a lot at the moment with with people right now during this sort of pandemic where people are having to come to terms with a lot of lot of stuff, a lot of loss, a lot of a lot of grief, a lot of uh, stress and anxiety. And, you know, I can see that your skills are probably going to be incredible. Well, put it this way. I was looking at what you do. And you, you, you talk about you, I mean, as a coach, you ask the, you ask great questions and stuff and you, you know, what, what is it that you, you know, you want, you, you ask your clients to visualize, you develop a routine, you learn to leave bad choices behind you, you, you know, you, you practice relaxation and meditation and mindfulness. And, and, and as, as you've already said, and it's all about taking time to develop your mental and physical well-being. And I was thinking, actually, do you know what? That's not just about golf, is it? <laughs> no. Like that, you know, you could you could take that and and people, you know, people could live their life by that, really, couldn't they? Yeah, and no, I really appreciate that compliment there. And when you're talking, I didn't realise when you're in the middle of doing something that that's what I'm actually physically doing because you just you're I'm in it, but the way that you are, you're not aware until somebody like yourself has just has just highlighted them areas mm. and yeah that's what i do do with everybody that i work with with everybody that i meet i come I, you know i come across in a way of being genuine and kind and mm. compassionate and, and goodness mm. and when things aren't going the way that we want them to or because of an external force being kind and compassionate to yourself is a really difficult thing to do because it's, there's there's only so much space in the mind for anyone thinking at any one time and people think we can multitask yeah. but actually if we people say focus 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 and it's like but if i'm feeling a certain way but then i start to focus 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 i'm focusing on the thing that i'm feeling so by having a choice of how you want to feel from within and learn to understand that things will pass nothing lasts forever everything's temporary you can start to install new ways of thinking and, and new behaviors, which will lead to a different emotional response. And I suppose that's what I do with people, just find out where they are. And I do this really powerful exercise. It's called unblocking. And you mentioned all of the stuff that's happening to people, anxiety, loss, grief, um, heartache, being in a situation that's very unusual. But it's not the first time in human existence for any individual to be in an unusual circumstance. And your environmental situation changes on a daily basis. It's difficult that we're in a, the same environment, but even just going to step outside your front door or going into the garden or doing something completely different away from that space will change something within, within the thought process. And the more you practice that, the better that you can become at the way that you respond to situations, not by what you do about the situation, because the situation is in, un, unfolding in front of you. And yeah. sometimes you haven't got control over that, like 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 what's going on. And golf, you make a decision about hitting that one shot in that moment, and it doesn't work. 
out the way that you planned it in your head, how do you respond? Yeah. And life's the same, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Business choices, relationships. You make you make choices all of the time, and when they don't work, it's like, oh, okay, what am I going to do about it? Yeah. And then you yeah. end up on this snowball effect. So yeah, it's um, it's entwining like in, in uh, yeah. Go on. No, no, uh, I was just. It, you 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 carry on mate I'll, i didn't mean to interrupt i'll, I'll... no no it's, no go on. <laughs> i was gonna say that life is like one great big golf round isn't it or one one big round of golf and i think i was trying to articulate this when i was a guest on your show because for me i'm not i love golf maria thinks it's a waste of a good walk i love it always have done and, but it's always, I've always had a round where there's really, you know, some highs and some lows and the joy and the pain and the, oh, the success and a bit of failure. And even in just one, that microcosm of like four hours, you can have all of those range of emotions. And I just found it incredible. <laughs> and yeah. I, I, I just, you know, articulating that actually into a life scenario is very similar actually isn't it and it's how you cope and like you said and how you choose to react to what has happened to in your life and 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 that that happens all the time 24 7 doesn't it yeah it's constant isn't it and you're right and i, I completely um see where you're coming from there as well and and understanding and even if you don't play golf things are always going to come up in your life and it's learning to either i think have you seen the crown you know with um about the queen the, yes. the, the doctor yeah yeah there's something um queen elizabeth says in the first episode about doing nothing she says i'm just going to do nothing and i don't think that she means that she's not going to do anything about the situation because mm. she was making decisions for what the country the family herself the amount of pressure that probably was going on in her mind but it was hers and the human being has their own individual pressures. And we can't ever compare who's feeling more pressure in any given situation mm. because it, it's you take onus of, of your pressure. Yeah, in that and moment. She says, in that moment, yeah. And she says, do nothing. And Eckhart Tolle in The Power of Now talks about no thing, nothing. And it doesn't mean that you're not doing anything about it. It means that you're not responding in a way that's going to create more heartache or problems in the given situation that mm. you're in and we all have them going on in our lives yeah because emotionally there's everyone is most people nowadays always have an emotional response to things don't they anything that happens it's just massive emotion either a high or a low and i guess it what you're saying then is it, is it kind of a way of of finding that mid-level where there's no underreaction or overreaction you just calm well, that's mindfulness there, what you, what you said. It's being in the present moment and balanced in where you are without judgment. So if you're judging something that somebody might have said or done or something that you've done, that judgment will lead to either a rise or fall in the emotion. Yeah. There's a beautiful passage on your website, actually, that really struck me. It was the, I'll read it and, and, and then I'd like to kind of, explore a little bit more about this because um uh, if you don't mind John, I'm this is a really fantastic conversation i'm having with you and it's it's really enlightening actually so on your website you've you've written the present moment is the only thing where there is no time 
it's the point between past and future. It's always there. And it's the only point we can access in time. Everything that happens, happens in the present moment. Everything that ever happened and will ever happen can only happen in the present moment. It's impossible for anything to exist outside of it. And I just wondered what your take is on that. What, what, what's the message for that? Shambhala, Sacred Path of the Warrior, talks about your positioning in the world. Mm. And when you pay attention to, say, the eastern rising sun rather than the western falling, you become more awake and alive to what is present in that situation. And if you've learned something along the way and you want to make a decision about a forward thinking motion, but bring the past thinking into that forward thinking solution, mm. you're going to be dampened by the result at the end of it because that previous thinking might come attached with so much negativity if you're trying to make a decision. But if you're making a decision based on what you've learned throughout time and setbacks and and what we call failures and feedback, there's actually more power in negativity than there is in positivity. And everybody thinks it's the other way around. Be positive all of the time. Look at me. I'm feeling great. When actually delve into what is the negative intention because of, or the negative response because there's a positive intent in that message somewhere. So bring that forward into your decision making, and then and I'm literally doing this on a daily basis with trying to build a program and a website and get a marketing program out there and titivate and things are going wrong and I'm getting frustrated and I'm doing exactly all of the things. But then sometimes if you bring yourself back to being a little bit more composed with what you're doing, mm. and it's not easy to do that, but the more you practice it, I suppose the more mature and better you become at doing that. Nobody's a ninja at it. I haven't met one person that is completely like, oh, still without any emotional attachment to what's going on yeah and i suppose so, that's what that message says it's about being there's nothing but now so living in the moment is is a key element to your life then is it it's something that i practice doing on a, on a daily basis mm. but your mind and your thoughts can wander to either a past or a future experience but yeah it's doing it from the present tense though yeah. You're not you haven't gone back and thinking backwards or you haven't gone forward and thinking forwards. You're doing all of your thinking from the moment that you're in. Is that something that you, from also from a military perspective, you have to think in the moment, don't you? So if you're if you're on on maneuvers or on, you know, on a on a mission or whatever, you've got to be in that moment. You can't be thinking about past, you know, what might have gone wrong in the past or whatever. You've got to be thinking about now and a positive outlook is that is that would that be fair yeah because you used to spend days and days planning a mission or a task and as soon as you stepped over the line it went out the window <laughs> and is that not the same as what we do in business sometimes it's yeah. only then it's only because of the training and the learnings that you've done along the way and the plan that you put in place you will start to draw from elements of that plan yeah to then create the solution of what might happen next like yeah. the, You've got a plan in your head. You're driving to the golf course. You're feeling good. You've got a nice little podcast on the go. You're listening to Steve. You know, you're feeling upbeat and you're full of joy. And you get there, you have a nice bacon sandwich. You meet a couple of people. The sun's out. There's no wind. And you think, I'm going to have a blind at a day. And you stand on the first tee and you whack it out of bounds. <laughs> and you go, oh, what happened there? And yeah. it's just, 
that wasn't meant to happen. Yeah. But you, you, you adapt and you change and you, you know, you knuckle down, work hard and, and, and eventually that, that the, the results come, right? Yeah. Well, Paul Casey went in at the weekend. They had a five year plan. He said, his carry still around for another year. He stuck with him. And that was their goal, their mission to keep turning up, being present. How many cuts hasn't he made and how many times hasn't he won in them five, six years? Yeah. And he, he come out with a really, really nice statement with a lot of emotion that you could feel it coming out of him. So when I watch golf, I actually listen to the language, the physiology, the way that they're coming across, their presence, yeah. not the way that they're swinging or the way that the ball's going, how they're re- reacting and how they're responding to certain shots. So when I'm watching golf at the weekend, I call it revision. <laughs> so I can get away with watching it. I'm revising. It's work. I'm doing yeah. research. Yeah. <laughs> work. It's work. It why did you why did you niche down into into golf then? What was the what was the sort of story for that? I just absolutely love it. Right. I just love the game. I love the I love the places that you can play. You can go and play places where the greats of the world have walked. You can't go and have a kick around at Wembley Stadium. Hmm. The whole dynamic, the ethos, the the generosity, the community, the way that people are at the golf clubs. The surroundings, they're beautiful, aren't they? You know, when you're walking along and you're having a bad game, just look up at the tree. I remember a few years ago, me and my dad were playing in the winter and we had our hats on and it was freezing cold and there was a blizzard coming in and it was, I think it was about eight o'clock in the morning and the sun was just coming up over a crisp, icy fairway. And we're like, what are we doing? And I looked to my left and I could see a bird tapping for worms. And I went, that's why we're here, just to get out walking with my bag on my back. And I don't care if I don't even swing the club well because I can't even hold it it's that cold but you're out just walking and if you pay attention to that that moment then external influences like what is going on at home or what's going on on social media or what what the wife's doing or the girlfriend or the partner or whatever it is um you're just in that element of just it's like a bit of freedom yeah and that tranquility and to then work on people around the mental side of it and how you can tap into that emotional state. It's brilliant. Mm. I'm, I'm completely blessed. You know, I, I set out 11 years ago to work in golf, to watch golf, to play golf. And it is a part of my life, mm. you know, and, and, and now I'm fortunate enough to talk to people all over the world and be mentored by one of the, the big figureheads within the game as well, which is great. Who's that? Dr. Joseph Parent, the author of Zen Golf, Master in the Mental Game, and he's wrote a lot of other books like Walk in the Woods with Winnie the Pooh characters. He's got a tennis one and a putting game. But he um, coached Vijay Singh to world number one wow. through the, the mental side of the game. Yeah. And he's worked with Christy Kerr, bo- boxers like Oscar De La Hoy, actors like, you know, everybody loves Raymond. And he's a, he's a, he's a Buddha. And his teachers, his philosophies, the way that he installs. And when you read Zen Golf, it's not really about golf. It's about what happens off the golf course. Um, And two years ago, I was listening to this podcast about asking for help. And it said, if you're going to ask for help, be specific in what the help that you want. Don't ask the person down the road just to help you move the settee and just give them 20 quid. Be direct. And the last thing you do, if somebody does give you help, is to go back to that person and tell them the impact that that help has had, like yeah. you did at the start of this with the podcast. Yeah. Because it sends a gratitude energy wave across. Yeah. And I sent that message to Dr. Joe, told him what I was doing, my intentions, and he said, I'm going to ring you tomorrow from LA. Oh, and wow. went, oh okay. And then, I sh- and then I showed him my program, the things that I'd been writing, the stuff that I was doing, and he put his name to it. He then offered to 
um, give me some content within his book, which is the, one of the best sellers to use within my program, which I haven't really took him up on that offer yet because it needs to mature a little bit more in terms of what I've been doing. Mm. And then, yeah, so when he started mentoring me June 2019, yeah. at that stage. Um, but yeah, just because I reached out to him and asked him a direct question of some support and help and liked what he was doing. And his book was a big advocate of my studies as well. Ah, oh, incredible. I love that. You mentioned gratitude as well. And I think that's a really underrated perspective that um, people don't practice that much or as much as they should do. And you, you, I think you talked about gratitude um, as a, as leverage um, for optimum growth in your life as well. Didn't you? I, I think, or did I, did I read that wrong? Gratitude is the attitude for optimum growth. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think when you talk about gratitude, and and you practice it properly it sends these ripples out doesn't it but they come back things like your experience with uh dr joe is just a a brilliant example of that isn't it yeah i was nervous to ask him (laughs) and i'm certainly grateful now that i've got his i've got his words of encouragement and typical session with dr joe would be i listen to what he's done and he questions me about what i'm doing but he doesn't ever, ever judge me and say that I'm doing the wrong thing. Mm. And that's, a, I think, a true mentor. And his teachers, a guy called Ozel Tenzin, wrote a book called Butter in the Palm of Your Hand. And Dr. Joe said to me, can you read this book? And I think I've read it about three or four times since he told me to read that. But Dr. Joe, I'm sorry, Ozel Tenzin reflects to a guy called Chumpa Rinpoche, who's the guy that brought Buddhism to the Western world and he escaped to Tibet at a young age and he brought Sammy Lee up in Scotland and he studied in Oxford University and he went over and started in Europa University with a lot of other teachers and he's got a book called The Sacred Path of the Warrior Shambhala which is about becoming the eastern sunrise being present mindfulness gratitude basic goodness kindness compassion Mm. and I was studying his stuff before Dr. Joe told me about Ozel and then Ozel's teacher is Chumpa Rinpoche (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so i was actually already studying the t- dr joe's teacher's teacher yeah. before he introduced me to him oh, because i said cool. to dr joe where did you get your stuff from where's the root cause and he told me who is and then and then i went a little bit more delved into it and, and it just started snowballing and meeting all of these great philosophy wisdom teachers in, in that industry i suppose well yeah. that faith wow amazing what a great story i think your whole attitude and mindset and the way that you you know set your yourself up um, for success is is a real it's a really fantastic positive story for people to follow as well and I just wondered over the last year John you know how have you kept things going on a an upward trajectory or have you have you found that you've had some difficulties over the last year during this pandemic as well and, and what sort of things have you have you done to sort of get you through it? I rebranded my company, built a new website, trained as an I3 personality profiling coach at the back end of 2019, done a thing called Gift and Hope last year where we offered some free personality profilings to people and it's a great awareness tool. That's what it starts off at and then build from there. Picked up a few clients, managed to get out for a little bit of golf, continued with my podcast, moved home. Yeah, I'm now living on on the northeast coast. I've got a sea view. Whitley Bay I've literally 
in the next month or so, the, the sunrise will start to come up directly opposite me there. So at the minute it comes a little bit down the way because it's just the time of year. Yeah. And what else have I done? Um, continue to strengthen my relationships with my partner, help my daughter out, cared for my neighbour who's end of life. Yeah. <laughs> and looked after him. He's been teaching me how to cook, made some amazing recipes, pre- preparation, finished off right in the four-year programme that launched yesterday in Texas. Brilliant. So that that's that's what I've been up to. You've been very active, and I think that's a that's a, a really good thing to do at times when things aren't going quite so quite as well as what um, you know people had planned, isn't it? You know, you just as rather than sort of sit down and um, not do anything or do nothing, just get up and and crack on and 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 do more of to put you in a better position for when this things eventually comes up when we all come out of it, right? Yeah. It drives me insane when I can't do anything. <laughs> I, I, I got that impression right from the beginning of the podcast when you said, I literally, I was climbing trees, you know, running around out first thing in the morning, back when it was dark, you know, that kind of thing. And I, I would imagine that aspect of your life is pretty much sewn into your DNA. So it's kind of, you know, I would imagine that's the way you, you have been and always will be, right? Yeah, I think so. If you were... She put me down as a Winnie the Pooh character, um, Tigger. <laughs> yes, I can see that. I can absolutely see that. Um, and I'm up, and I'm at my best when I'm like that as well. Oh, that's great. I mean, it's been incredible actually having a you know talking to you, and um, it's a, a really beautiful conversation that we've had. I think. I just on one last thing, really, and I just it would be remiss of me not to ask this, but how how has optimism played a part in your life? Optimistic. How has that played a part? Do you think it has pl- being having optimism about you know your future and your life and your you know your uh, the way you are and who you are um, and what you want to do and uh, who you want to serve? Has that been something that you've used to move forward in your life? I, I believe, yeah, it's probably the first time that I've been stumped with a question there, Steve. So well done for that. <laughs> I just really, you've got my you've got my mind thinking. Um, when you plant a seed to do something or create an intention, and I'm, I've got one of the, one of my personality traits is I'm quite high in perceiving, so I'm a bit of a visionary, and I think sometimes that can either put people off that I work with, or it can drive me a little bit insane because I've always got loads of ideas. I'm quite creative with thinking and ideas, and action in them. I probably need a little bit more support in terms of getting the right people around the table. And that's what makes up, I suppose, the, the dynamic of a, of a good, solid team. Mm. It's about finding people that's the opposite to you and working with them. Like my, my partner, um, Sylvia, she's really very practical and detailed and focused in terms of the of what needs to be done, whilst I'm more, more abstract and free-thinking and big, open-minded and things like that in terms of what's going on. Um, so we complement each other that way, and, and, and it works. What I've learned and the big lessons, especially over probably more so in the last 10 years, is that just keep walking. Just keep moving. Don't ever think that you're not good enough. The the self-doubt, the fear, you know, we either live in fear or love. Try to choose which one you want to be in. Mm. The the fear is actually an ego. It's just keeping you there for safety. You know, we weren't, you know, when you go across the road, you look left and right and you're fearful that something might happen, but you don't. You just freely do it and you're aware. 
when you go to make decisions, just fire the shot, get out there, speak to somebody, do something that's going that's going to make a little bit of a difference that you might plant now, but even forget about that years down the line, it will blossom into what, what you set out to do. And don't lose track of that. So being optimistic about, and, and op, I think optimism comes with a lot of patience. Learn that as well when you're setting intentions. I heard a really interesting saying two weeks ago, and I'm, I'm now starting to introduce it into my work, about goal setting. Completely scrap goals because they lead to disappointment and you set them too high. Nine times out of ten, you might not even stick to them. But when you write down intentions and align them with your core values, magic happens because yeah. you, you're intentionally wanting to do something within the mind. I intend to write this email, to send this message, to reach out to Dr. Joe, to knock three shots off my golf game. I intend to break into the big time or start a podcast or whatever decision that you make, do it with an intention rather than a goal. A goal has actually become a little bit more old-fashioned now in terms of the what happens based on the back of them. So I've literally binned all my goals now and I just set intentions. That sounds like an absolutely brilliant plan. And, and in fact, it's a, a beautiful way to to finish the, the, the podcast on, on some incredible insight there from uh, from you, John. And um Thank you so much for coming on the show, mate. I, I absolutely have been enthralled by your insight and um, I can't, you know, say how how high my respect is for you and what you've done in, in, in your life and what you're doing and what you're going to do. And I just I love it. And I, I'm, I'm so glad that um, we were able to connect a year ago and uh, I, I've been following you on on social and, and staying in contact. And I wish you all the continued success and um sending uh sending out peace and love man thank you so much and hopefully um well i really want massively massively appreciate it. even we, we've just been chatting on a regular basis with the odd little message here and then and that helps you know it's really good and i'm glad that you've decided to go off and do this and i want to learn a little bit more about your ventures and stuff like that and see what you've been up to with things and and hopefully we can share share the fairways yeah absolutely and, and not, yeah i look forward to not, that yeah, that would be fun. And um, as we are part of the same network, and but yeah, to be on and chat with you, it's been fun. It's been it's I been think. amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. You know your story, and um, I'm sure that there will be people out there who will be able to connect with what you've said. And um, it's really powerful, very very cool stuff. And um, thank you so much for taking time out to to speak with me. Thank you, Steve, and have a and have a great week. Thank you. All right, how are you feeling after that? Hopefully some of JT's calm mindfulness has rubbed off on you. You can connect with John through all the usual socials and they'll be listed on the show notes. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Uh, If you'd like to support the podcast, the best and most impactful thing you can do is subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, even Amazon and Google too. And also sharing with your friends, family and colleagues is always greatly appreciated. And I'm so grateful for your support of the podcast. I don't take it for granted, but I also know from comments that I receive every week that it's making a difference. And that's really the only reason I started it. So take care, everyone. Stay strong. Choose optimism every day. And remember, it's important to enjoy the ride. And we'll be back soon. Take care.